Greetings and welcome to The Fuse, the podcast of Confluence Concerts. My name is Larry Beckwith. On this month's premiere episode of The Fuse, I will speak with two of the driving forces behind Opera in Reach, a new mentorship program looking to promote an authentically representative new world view of opera for middle school and high school students. Matthew White is a familiar name in the early music world, both as a performer and executive administrator. He has a new job, which he and I will chat about. And I will also visit with bassist Leighton Harrell, one of the performers in Confluence Concert's current program featuring the music of Billy Strayhorn. Those conversations, a look at a musical gem or two, and a whole lot more on this month's edition of The Fuse. Hello. It's a great pleasure to be getting down to this podcast project, something we've been wanting to do for some time now. For those who aren't familiar with the organization, Confluence Concerts is based in Toronto. We give concerts that feature eclectic, thought-provoking programming from our artistic team, which includes singers Marian Newman, Subha Shankaran, and Patricia O'Callaghan, and bassist and composer-arranger Andrew Downing. Like most of the musical world, COVID has forced us online, but we're making the best of it. We have the first concert of our 2020-2021 season up on our YouTube channel, It's uh, curated by Andrew Downing, and it's a celebration of the music of Billy Strayhorn, who was Duke Ellington's right-hand man and the composer of such gems as Take the A-Train, Passion Flower, Lush Life, and many others. I'll talk more about the concert a little later in the program. My first guests on the show are singers Andrew Adridge and Daniela Agostino, and they are both heavily involved in a brand new organization called Opera in Reach. And they're on the line with me now. Welcome to The Fuse. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Um, so first of all, tell us a little bit about your background. You're both singers. And uh, maybe, Andrew, if you'd like to go first, where where did you study and, and what have you been up yeah. to? No problem. Um, yeah, so my name is Andrew Edridge. Uh, I'm the co-founder of Opera and Reach. I am a singer, a writer, and an opera administrator from Toronto. I studied at the University of Toronto for both a bachelor in voice performance and also a master's of opera. Uh, I've been out of school for three years now. I've been working as a catering professional and recently I've started working at Opera CA as an operations associate. So I'm getting a foray into the administrative world as lo- along with the singing world. And I've been singing for various companies over the couple of years. So it's been nice to freelance and have a balance between day job and, and, and uh, opera work as well. And Daniela? Hi, my name is Daniela Agostino, and I am a soprano from Toronto, Ontario. I did my studies at the University of Western Ontario, and like Andrew, I did both my undergrad and master's there. And since my master's, I have been singing a bunch and teaching a bunch, and recently I'm helping open up a music school um, that's attached to a dance school called the Leslieville School of Dance. So that's kind of exciting. And I'm also proudly the director of operations with Opera in Reach. Oh, that's fantastic. I, so I would say, I don't know when, sometime in the summer, um, I was scrolling around on one of the social medias and all of these wonderful people showed up <laughs> introducing this great new initiative and they were a number of them were were singers that I know or have worked with yeah. and uh, and I got the sense that this real there was this real groundswell this really wonderful organization was forming so can you talk a little bit about um, how the group was formed and and what kind of conversations you had in forming it uh, so Opera and Reach was uh, founded by myself and David Pepper who's an, a tenor uh, from Ontario uh, we had a conversation in March, um, right at the beginning of the pandemic, or right at the beginning of COVID, around having a concert after the pandemic, um, 
to kind of get some money in our pockets, but also give some money to charity and to highlight some repertoire that was by oppressed voices, people who aren't represented that much in the industry and in the sectors of so black and indigenous voices and LGBTQ plus composers. Uh, and we kind of left the conversation at that. Uh, the pandemic unraveled and of course was something that nobody expected it to be at that time. And we met again in June and had a much different conversation about our lives, about um, thinking inward as to, I think a lot of people were doing, um, understanding better their role in equity and diversity and inclusion with the re-spark of the Black Lives Matter movement upon the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor um, and Ahmaud Arbery. And we really had conversations around what that meant as an individuals and what that meant to a sector that we know was traditionally very Eurocentric and the opportunities that are presented for individuals that look like me, that are like David, members of, of oppressed uh, communities. And I shared with David um, my kind of story as a singer uh, and that I left a, a grade school situation that was pretty, pretty bad. And I went to a different school to do French. And I happened to meet a music educator there in grade seven who she showed me that I could sing. I loved singing already, but I was in the choir there and she said that the next school I would go to would have a great program. And I went to Asian Court Collegiate in Scarborough. I'm very proud to, to be a graduate of Asian Court Collegiate. And I went there with this amazing music program, many, many students involved, so many ensembles, so many teachers. And, and a teacher there said, come and sing for me one, one lunch period. And I sang and he gave me a, a contact for someone to take lessons with and, and so on and so forth. And that kind of sparked this joy and this love for opera. And it's a wonderful story, but it made me think a lot about the fact that there's so many people who will never get that opportunity. You know, so many young people who like grow up in homes or in situations maybe where they're in lower socioeconomic situations, maybe they're just minority communities or communities that have nothing to do with opera and it's not the music of their parents or their ancestors. And so why are those people denied the opportunity to, to have an operatic education while we can know we know the benefit of it as young professionals? Mm -hmm. And David said, okay, forget about the recital, let's do that. And I said, <laughs> what does that mean? And he said, let's maybe do it, maybe we start going around to schools and start singing for them. So it started from there, but it quickly, um, Kind of turned into i think a group that wanted to fill voids in the industry that we knew were presented so one was with traditional outreach going into a school doing a school tour or something of the like is wonderful but it doesn't really maintain any kind of connection with the students beyond a 45 minutes or one hour interaction with them and then a q a and a goodbye so we said how do we do something that's lasting and we created the home program which is this digital comprehensive digital structure in which we'll present to schools and market to schools that danielle will talk a little bit about later and but we said let's also maintain it so we wanted to create a mentorship program and we said we can we can do a one-on-one -on -one session and we can also create a larger mentorship network with all of these students if you get more cohorts um and said okay so what does that look like well we can have different community partners we can have different company partners let's really build a network of students in which they can come and feel like not just that we're presenting an opera to them but we're presenting it in a very equitable way in a diverse way with our staff and the repertoire that we put on but also trying to maintain it because uh, the larger goal for the organization is really to formulate a canadian identity that centers around the people and the communities that are brought up in in these in these areas and we know that we're a very multicultural nation so we really are examining the civic impact of opera and understanding better what that looks like and what the communities look like what can we do to bring those communities into opera in a way that they can feel accepted, they feel like there's a path of belonging, all with the hope of kind of creating this larger Canadian identity. We're so thankful now to have company partners, probably every small company in Toronto. We have Renaissance also in Vancouver. We're looking for more company partners. We're starting a partnership with U of T because we're really trying to fill the voids of that and teach young artists, teach artists that are established in the industry that, that community impact, civic impact is important, that we need to be thinking about it, that it's critical to opera's survival and opera's future to be thinking about our communities and looking at what they look like, how can we create around them? And that's the work that Opera and Reach is doing holistically along with our outreach work. Wow, great. Um, and it really is, or it strikes me as being an idea that is absolutely right for the time that we're living in uh, at, at this moment. I mean, you have intersected with a great idea at exactly the right time. Okay. Um, so Daniela, can you talk a little more about the, you know, the, the kind of core values of the organization and, and where you're headed? Yeah, of course. So the big thing for us right now is the creating of our digital session. So with COVID-19 and realizing that students most likely will not be in school full time or whatever the case may be, we really racked our brains to think, well, how can we start this now and have it last? And how can we make it reach just more than just 
Toronto and our own bubbles here. So we came up with this digital session idea, which are one hour in length, and they'll be held by two of our mentors. And we call this our HONE program, the Helping Opera's New Existent program. <laughs> and it's dedicated to searching out new ways to do outreach that tear down the barriers that in-person engagement presents. With HONE, we hope not to not only expand our reach, but to form a network of mentors, professionals, and students that is ethnically diverse and a true representation of our Canadian fabric. We also have our digital mentorship program, and this is related to what Andrew was saying earlier about keeping the outreach going beyond just the visit in school. So we noticed that there's a bit of a disconnect when the sessions end and the students have no way of generally, genuinely continuing to foster relationships with people in our industry. So we sought to bridge that gap with the mentorship program. So students can fill an application and then be matched with a mentor that suits their interests or needs. Then they will be able to have seven one-on-one -on -one hour long sessions with their mentor creating a meaningful and impactful experience. We also have a U of T partnership. So we will be partnering with U of T's opera division to host for two hour long sessions with their master's level students on a variety of topics on meaningful outreach to prepare them for the realities of being a young artist, but also to arm them with tools to conduct outreach in a way that is impactful in today's day and age. That is great. That is really great. And I, <laughs> I um... It's wonderful that you're starting with young people and and talking to young people about it and and kind of in a way changing the conversation about what training looks like i guess mm -hmm. um because you talk to so many singers of your age and and you know who are young professionals and they say you know why didn't anybody talk to me in school about yeah. <laughs> about these challenges right here i am i found you know i know how to I guess I know how to audition and I know how to sing certain roles and all that kind of thing, but I don't know how to interact with people in the rehearsal room. I don't know how to talk to a, an arts administrator. I don't know how to advocate for myself. And as a result, I think, you know, I think singers are taken advantage of and they're, and they're sometimes cast aside because they don't have these kinds of skills and and in a way it's it's about standing up for yourself i suppose and also feeling that you are you know you belong in that kind of an environment yeah. um so andrew maybe my question is for you about why why is this important for young people uh, at right. this time well i think you know young people as you said are the, are the future in, in in all intents and purposes right um they're going to dictate what the future of opera looks like and they're going to dictate if opera even has validity in the, in the coming years right I mean, we see so many other sectors i think that are so innovative with their understanding that they need to adapt in some way modernize in some way and i think opera is one sector that has been rather resistant to doing that at least in canada um not just digitally but also with the content also with the stories that are being told you know, also with who's on stage, who's in the administrations. You know, I see a lot of arts, I have a lot of arts colleagues in other disciplines and they talk about, you know, for years I've talked about the fact that their sectors have been modernized and have been really trying to understand equity, have been realizing that it needs to be at the forefront because as I said, our, our, our Canadian fabric is so multicultural and we have so many different people coming to Canada all the time, it's wonderful. But what are we doing as a sector to understand them? We've kind of maintained this Eurocentric kind of ideal. And the, the young people are the people who are going to really dictate if this is a place where they want to spend their money beyond just being singers. And if this is a place that they can feel like uh, they could use as a creative outlet to express themselves. What we really want to do is to engage them and to show you that opera is not just your convention. There are companies in Canada that are already breaking that, breaking down those barriers, breaking the mold of what opera looks like with the shows that they're doing, with what they're putting on, with their indigenous content, with their with electronic music, you know, with uh, modernizing of, of traditional canonical repertoire. We know that there are people that are doing this. We can show you that 
But beyond that, we can give you the tools to inspire you to believe that you can bring your story to this. Tell the story of your ancestors. Tell the story of where you're from. Tell things that the social justice issues that we know students care about so much, especially in these times, very uncertain times politically, very uncertain times with, with pandemic and with health and, and, and the world and the fabric of the world in general. We know that at the forefront of their minds is, are these social justice issues. And, and so long, opera has served as a platform to be able to tell those social justice issues, even if they were hidden and embedded in the music of most are, we know that what they were full of and they're alive even more today, especially look in the States with the operas that are being put out, commissioned by the big companies all the time that are on these racy, very, very racy subjects. And they're not afraid to do those things because opera has always been political. Mm. And we know that the, we want the next generation of students to feel like this is the place that I can invest my money because it tells a story of me. It's not afraid to tell the stories that I don't, that I don't hear in the media that I might not see every day in day-to-day theater and day-to-day other, other art sectors. And I can create here. I know that it's something that identifies with the Canadian identity. So it's, it's imperative that we target our young people so that we can create a new generation that looks more multicultural in our fabric from the administration all the way into singing, all the way to the people on stage. And also so that we can have a lasting, a lasting, I think, art form that means something here. It's, yeah. it's, and it's beyond just the music. It's about the story. It's about the people. Yeah. You know, and I, and I believe that opera can do that. And young, I know young people and young professionals believe that too, because we've had the opportunity to be in it. But mm-hmm. for the people who haven't had the opportunity, we want to show you that your first look of opera is one that looks like a Canada, a Canada that you believe in and a Canada that you're going to be excited about in the future. That's fantastic. And um, thank you. Well, you know, Daniela, how can people get involved? How can people support opera in reach and, and continue to get the word out? Yeah, of course. Well, at this point, we have our Toronto team pretty much fully formed, but we're always keeping an ear open to people who find their values aligned with ours. And you can always inquire via our website, which is www.operainreach.com. Right now, we are hosting a GoFundMe for our digital content creation, which is getting a lot of traction. We are really excited to see that and really humbled to see people donating to this and everything. So that's been really exciting for us on our team to kind of see that trucking along really wonderfully. And if anybody feels like they can contribute anything, they can also do that via our website by clicking the donate button. That'll take you to our GoFundMe page. And if anybody ever has any questions or inquiries, you can send that through the website. You can email us at operainreach at gmail.com also. That's great. Well, good luck to both of you. I really, um, Admire what you're doing, and I wish you all the best in your uh, in your endeavors. It's a great idea. Thank, thank you thank so you much, Larry. Me. And thank you for having us. Thank yeah. you. That was Opera in Reach co-founder Andrew Adridge and director of operations Daniela Agostino. For more information about this wonderful new venture, you can visit www.operainreach.com. You are listening to the inaugural episode of The Fuse, the podcast of Confluence Concerts. My name is Larry Beckwith. We're just getting going with this venture, and it is our goal to reach out to musicians and writers and cultural figures across the country to connect and celebrate the vibrant Canadian arts scene in our own way. In that spirit, my next guest is Matthew White, who is, in a matter of days, stepping down as Executive and Artistic Director of Early Music Vancouver, a post he assumed in 2013 after having spent three years as executive director of Pacific Music Works in Seattle. Before that, in a previous life, he had gained international acclaim as one of Canada's leading countertenors and the founding director of the Quebec-based ensemble Les Voix Baroques. On October 1st, Matthew will be taking up his new post as chief executive officer of the Victoria Symphony. And he is on the line from Victoria now. Hello, Larry. Um, so how are you? Oh, well, I mean, I would say uh, at the moment I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed because uh, I, I've been working at EMV for eight years and I'm starting a new job at uh, the Victoria Symphony in October. And of course, in those sort of transitional months where you're, 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 in, you're in two places at the same time, uh, it can feel a little bit, uh, a little bit overwhelming. Yes. Know? Yeah, I, I feel I feel so um, connected to EMV. It's been at the center of my professional and and, and uh, emotional life now for eight years. So 
Um, the idea of just sort of closing the door and walking out is is not realistic for me. You know, I I, I care about it too much. Sure, um, sure. And then on on the other hand, uh, you know, I, I I see all the possibility, and I'm so excited about all the things that we're going to be able to do at Victoria Symphony, and so I want to get all of that background information so that I don't make silly decisions, and I, I get to know all the people that that are going to be able to help uh, create great things, and and. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a bit it's a bit overwhelming. You feel like you're in two two camps a little bit. Right. Well, let's start by talking about EMV and your time there. I mean, first of all, it's a it's an institution in Canada. It's an early music institution in Canada. It's been going for a very long time. I don't know how many years, but I, my guess is thirty five or forty, maybe. Or it's actually been going for fifty years. So oh it started in, in May of nineteen seventy. So you're okay. right. It, it is an institution, and um, and that was largely due to the very very hard work of Jose Verstappen, who was uh, mm. the, the artistic director there for and bottle washer and whatever else for thirty five <laughs> years. He, yeah. he, I mean, talk about putting your life into something. That guy, that guy built that. You know, um, with the sweat on his brow, kind of thing. And and uh, and he's still very involved with the organization and. Um, yeah, so it started 50 years ago, and it's it's been growing ever since. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to say that uh, in the last four or five years, in particular, it seemed to really get gain people's attention somehow, and and it, and it took a, a took more place in the community. Right, right. I see. Um, I mean, I don't. Again, I don't know when the Chan Center opened in Vancouver, but uh, that seems to have been a nice um, partnership with you, and and kind of raised the profile of early music Vancouver in the in the most in more recent times that is absolutely correct yeah no I mean we, we we've been partnering with the Chan ever since it opened in the 1990s I think it was 1996 mm -hmm. we were on the first season and we continue to partner with them on a regular basis it's it's the only really excellent acoustic and and, and really world-class concert hall in Vancouver that's a whole other discussion but but yeah, the, the, the Chan Center is really a wonderful place to make music and it's not just that they've also been great production partners so that they've always been very open to uh, our ideas even when they're a little bit nuts you know we we've done operas there fully staged operas at the Chan and it's not a proscenium hall so that mm -hmm. required some flexible thinking on their part and and they've always been energetic and positive so yeah no it's it's been a big part of our success so if you were to point to one or two or three highlights of the of, of your time at early music vancouver what would they be oh that's a that's a good question but i i um strangely the first concert i was a part of organizing actually and it was it was a concert to to honor jose's um legacy and and his departure and we decided i, I don't know how we convinced the board to do this but we decided to, um, to put on a production of, of israel and egypt and we thought, why don't we ask all of these prominent international solos who've come to work here to come and sing in the choir? And and uh, they all said yes. It was just crazy. It just shows you how much respect they had for for Jose and for the organizations. It was unbelievable. So to me, still, when I look at that YouTube video of that show, I remember sitting in the hall and just feeling like Alex Lyman, who was the conductor. He, he's a he's a. Um, um, a very energetic person and you need to stay with the tour, right? Because mm -hmm. you turn on a dime and, and sometimes that, that doesn't work out. But when you've got a, a, a group of that quality in front of you, it was like watching a, an incredible race car driver, you know, um, taking turns and, and the car just responding to him immediately. And even now, whatever it is, eight years later, you look back on that thing and it was more than world-class. It was weird. Mm -hmm um and and jubilant and 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 i i at the end of that that performance i just thought oh my god if, is this my job now <laughs> I, I i get to put together stuff like this and of course you know that one performance cost one hundred and thirty-five thousand bucks or whatever it was so, right. so no <laughs> I, I had to wait a few years for another another i mean i'd say cathartic experience like that you know um but then yeah there's been many many others um just so get, I mean, Beowulf, you've probably seen Benjamin Bagby's Beowulf. Well, mm -hmm. I, you, it's hard to imagine as somebody in early music, I had not seen it live until just last year. And I, you know, I knew that it was great. I'd seen videos of it and, and, and everything. But I, I remember sitting in that hall and watching that amazing man do that thing to a, a completely sold out house. We, there was not a single seat left for a medieval epic. Right. You know? 
And I thought, is are people going to buy this? You know. And then I swear to God, it was I was on the edge of my seat from beginning mm -hmm. to end. I thought, what happens next? Oh my God, really? And then sitting there and having tears in my eyes, thinking, oh, you know, we we've got incredible technology. We've got all this production value nowadays that we can bring to things. And yet, all you really need is a great storyteller and musician, really. Absolutely. Um, and and so that that was like proof uh, positive that all of this work that we do in historically informed performance practice, um, it's it's worth something. Sometimes going backwards can help you see see better. Mm -hmm. So so that was another amazing experience. Uh, I also was part of uh, an all woman Vivaldi project that we put together. We were not the first to put together this idea. This you know other people have done this. Right. Um, but it was it was uh, something we we had Monica Huggett lead, and it was a Christmas two years ago. Um, an all female orchestra um, and an all female uh, choir of of young people and middle aged people and even a few older people. So it was multi generational. Inspired by Vivaldi's connection to La Pietà and and correct and Venice, yeah, yeah, correct. So so the idea was you know and 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 it was kind of a, a reflection to me of of the extent to which the period instrument scene has has grown on the West Coast because all of the orchestra were all women from the West Coast, mm -hmm. and the quality was absolutely world class dynamite, you know, mm. and and uh, and then the singers we brought from all over the place. We brought some some good uh, Toronto based people that you know, of course, Vicky Saint Pierre and Laura Podwell and a few of those great lower voices mm -hmm. you know, the, the 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 altos have to sing the, the 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 tenor part at pitch right but anyway uh, it was it was just amazing and to, and to watch all those women working together and 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 sensing that there was a different vibe it was not the same right as when you have a mixed group or um, all men or whatever it was different and it was wonderful so that was cool. that was another another great one yeah yeah and how are you feeling leaving the organization i mean do you feel like you you've i mean are you excited for its future? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'm excited for it. And I think, I mean, I'm, right now they're already starting the search for the new leader. And I'm really interested to see who of my colleagues are, are interested in the job because it's, it's a, the organization is about two and a half times bigger than it was when I started. So what that mm -hmm. means, you know, the budget size is just bigger. So, so it was, it was about a million dollars and now it's around $2 million. So it, mm -hmm. it just means that there's, there's a, uh, a base of sustainable funding to do cool things and and because unlike an orchestra you know which has its uh, other obvious benefits but um, it, we don't have a, a staff uh, i mean of an employees in terms of musicians you know we don't we don't have to be paying the same people month after month right so we have total flexibility it's actually an organization that's very well set up to to to, to um do well after this pandemic too, because there's no constraints in the same way that a lot of other organizations have. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I think I, I think they're in great shape. They've got a really great sustainable base of funding. There's no, I'm leaving them with, with no deficit and, and some new instruments coming. We, we, we um, ordered an, the building of an 1820 Conrad Graf piano. Uh, I guess it was in yeah July. So that's gonna come sometime in the spring. Beautiful. So, you know, that's going to open up a whole new era of programming in a way. Yeah. Yeah. All that early romantic music. Um, and to have that instrument really means that you can, you can do a whole new set of stuff. So that's going to be exciting. Uh, so speaking of programming, you were, you were talking to me a bit before we started talking officially um, about your, about the season that is coming for early music Vancouver um, and some of the work that you've done, you've been doing over the summer uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? What what people can expect from EMV in 2020-2021? Sure. You know, the pandemic uh, brought a lot of disappointment for a lot of people and 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 for me, you know, I was I was looking at the Bach Festival lineup and 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 when you know March 17th came or whenever it was and it was clear that, you know, things were not going to proceed as planned. I remember just sitting in my room for for half a day just feeling just terrible because I'd spent two two years planning this 20 concert festival, including artists from all over the, all over the world, you know, and, uh, but I, after just a, you know, a couple of days of sitting around, you know, feeling sorry for ourselves, we thought, well, what do we do now? And the obvious, the obvious route was to try to come up with some sort of a virtual offering. So, you know, you mentioned the Chan Center before we talked to the Chan and said, well, what about the idea of us filming a whole series of events on the Chan stage? It's not like anything is happening right now. 
And, um, and they immediately said, that sounds like a great idea. Um, you know, we're going to have to go through about 37 layers of university bureaucracy to figure out how to do this so that, you know, the protocols are respected and everything. But, but yeah, let's basically, let's try to do this. Um, so we did. And, and uh, in between July 22nd and July 27th, I think it was, we filmed um, 10 performances on the stage of the Chan Center featuring all BC-based musicians. Uh, and a real wide variety of stuff. We did, we did, um, you know, some Baroque music, obviously, because um, EMV is responsible for the um, administration of Pacific Pacific Baroque Orchestra. So we provided two projects for them. We did some new music. We did some um, Chinese classical music, Nanguan music. We did some Persian uh, music uh, from the. We we have a a, a local. Um, spike fiddle player in vancouver who's just a genius and he had a period late 19th century spike fiddle built for this and we did a whole show uh with with him and two other of his colleagues and it was wonderful so yeah and, and those are all going to be released every two weeks uh starting at the end of september all the way until june amazing so, yeah and we're just in the process right now of trying to figure out uh, the release the, the release strategy basically like how, how are we going to we're pretty sure it's all going to be for free. So it's going to be about accessibility and, and maintaining contact with the people that, that uh, we know and learning about and hopefully getting to know new people. Cause that's one of the cool things about online sharing is that you, know, you never know where it's going to go. Right. Um, but we're trying to figure out which platforms to put it on. Are we going to put it on Facebook live or YouTube premieres or, you know, Vimeo, whatever. And, and tr trying to figure out all of those different new things. So, yeah, these are all things that people are that organizations are are having to invent in a way, or, and uh, and share information about, and all that kind of thing. Um, it sounds very exciting, and uh, we, I mean, when you do have your plans set, uh, you know, let us know, and we'll spread the word here in uh, in Toronto because that's one of the actual, you know, the upsides to uh, to online, of course, is that people don't have to be in Vancouver to enjoy this. They can enjoy it from anywhere. It, totally. And in fact, I should say that in addition to the 10 that we filmed in, 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 in uh, sorry, at the Chan Center, we filmed one in Victoria on that beautiful wolf organ at the cathedral there. Mm -hmm. Alex did a big program of, of uh, you know, relatively unknown uh, turn of the, the 18th century German music, um, which is spectacular. You know, the guy, the guy's a total virtuoso. So it's, it's really fun to, to, to hear and see him play that. Um, but we're actually going to do another eight this year too. Um, and, and we're, we're going to bring Canadian artists. So we're going to bring a bunch of artists out from Toronto too. Terrific. Uh, Alicia Chiterio is going to come and, and, and do a recital for us as well. And Angela Hewitt, we're hoping. Hmm. Um, that's still in the, in the negotiation phase. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a great, a great year. And it'll, it'll serve as a kind of an archive too um, of this crazy, crap sandwich of a year <laughs> yes yeah for, for, forever it, it'll be neat actually when you think about it we'll be able to look back on 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 this period and we'll have a much much better picture yeah of the musical life in canada at this time than we otherwise would have it's true isn't it yeah well isn't that amazing that you're uh, you know the, the so emv is set for this season basically and you're leaving the organization in great uh shape um, but you're moving on to the Victoria Symphony. And I, how did that all come about that, the, you know, your connection or your interest in, uh, in switching jobs at this time? Well, I mean, if I'm really honest, um, you know, I, I think, especially because I was executive and artistic director of the Music Vancouver. And, and um, I think after eight years of one person's artistic direction, I think often that's enough, you know what I mean? And, and, and I felt like I'd, I'd, I'd really done my part in building the, 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 the infrastructure of the organization and that there's still a lot of things that I feel like I want to learn about how to build infrastructure further, like the business admin side. I actually really love it. I, I was really surprised that I was going to love it. <laughs> um, but I, I do like it and I feel like I have a lot more to learn. And, and uh, when it comes to the, my artistic uh, tastes, I feel like over eight years, I gave people a real good sense of what it is that I like, you know, right. and, and I think it's time for somebody else. And, and, uh, and because things are so stable there, um, I think they'll be able to find somebody with a distinct artistic uh, perspective for me 
and that'll be good for the audience. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the short answer. I, I just think it's it was time for the audience to be able to hear a different perspective. And I had a lot of, I still feel I have a lot of other things to learn. And the Victoria Symphony is a place where I think um, some of my, my experience will be helpful to the Victoria Symphony, but also I will be able to learn things there that, that, that will be helpful to me. So I, I feel like it'll be that perfect balance, I think, of bringing something new to the table, but also having that freshness that, that, that it's always there when you don't necessarily know the answer. Right. Well, and this is something I've always admired about you is that you seem to have boundless curiosity and, and a kind of hunger for new experiences. And so this is wonderful that you're, you know, that you're putting, I mean, I'm sure the Victoria Symphony is thrilled, um, but I, you know, it's, I'm sort of happy for you that you get to, you get to have a new, a, a new start in this kind of situation. And, and it will be challenging in that, you know, like I said, EMV ha- has no constraints at the moment. So, mm-hmm. so I'm leaving them in especially good shape in a way, not just because I was, I was, you know, careful with the money and, and strategic, but also because um, unlike the Victoria Symphony, who's just very graciously and, and well, I mean, honorably, I think they did exactly the right thing. They're, they're, they've offered to pay the orchestra 75% of their salaries, despite the fact that the income is essentially gone. Right. So, so, but they're still paying people. And at EMV, it's a, it was a different story. We didn't have an orchestra to pay and yet mm-hmm. we're well-funded. So, mm-hmm. so we're, we were able to hold on to some of that money. We were also supported by the wage subsidy program. So the few employees we did have, we didn't even have to pay full. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a categorically different situation, but right. um, yeah, the Victoria Symphony's, uh, it, there, there'll be challenges, but it's a, it's a healthy organization. And I could sense that when I was talking to all of the, 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 the board members and the interview process. And, and I thought, oh, this will be fun because, you know, making an organization work, no matter how, you know, strategic you are or how, how entrepreneurial you are, if you don't have a team of people that like working together, it's just not going to be easy. Right. And they and, have a new, they have a new conductor. Yes, well, I mean that was another thing that attracted me to the to the job was that um, Christian Cluxon, who's there, their uh, conductor, and has been there for three years. Uh, when I had the chance to speak with him, I I felt just an enormous amount of energy and intelligence and vibrancy there, and I thought, wow, that I mean, he's a young guy, and I just thought, well, this is impressive. This this person is obviously a, a very very ambitious, but in the right way, like artistically ambitious, uh, forward looking person, and when talking to all the orchestra members and I know many of them anyway, right? Because I, I know mm-hmm. them from working with the Pacific Broke Orchestra and everything. They all uniformly all said the same thing, which is, Oh yeah. Like this guy is, is wonderful. And, and he pushes us like crazy. And that's after three years. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's beyond the honeymoon. That right. that's, they really obviously like him. And I thought, Oh, the pieces are in place. Like there's a great board. There's a, a, a I've got I've gotten now to know all the staff a little bit and also really high quality staff there. And and I just thought this is this is an opportunity. Don't blow it. I live in Victoria, too. Right. right? Yeah. So so this is another thing. I've been commuting for four years. And uh, when I when I had this opportunity come up, I just thought this is this is interesting. This is this is something that could go a long way. And and, and also you'll, you'll get the opportunity to learn new things. So. Great. Well, thank you and all the best. And it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. I could go on for hours. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's really, really nice to see you and, and uh, love to, to, to your family and, and to Terry and everybody else. Likewise. Thanks, Matt. Matthew White, the outgoing executive and artistic director of Early Music Vancouver and the incoming chief executive officer of the Victoria Symphony and honestly, one of the nicest human beings on the planet. We wish him all the best in his new position. You are listening to The Fuse, the podcast of Confluence Concerts, and my name is Larry Beckwith. My goodness, we all want to get back to live music making, but all of that is on hold at the moment, of course. So very many organizations are turning to live streams and recorded concerts, which is another genre, really, than live concerts, but it's been so great to see familiar faces online and to make music virtually with colleagues and to stay in touch with our precious audience members. As I mentioned earlier, Confluence has a virtual season featuring seven events planned for 2020-2021. And the first event is up now at the Confluence YouTube channel. 
It's a program of the amazing songs of Billy Strayhorn, who grew up in the 20s and 30s in Pittsburgh, an insanely talented pianist and composer. Early in his life, he came in contact with Duke Ellington, and their musical partnership lasted until Strayhorn's death in 1967. He was an influential coach of singers such as Lena Horne and Rosemary Clooney, and he held his own with the very best jazz musicians of his age. His songs are very sad, they're bittersweet, and they're full of humanity and warmth and humor and great musical innovation. Andrew Downing did an amazing job putting this program together, and I'd love it if you tuned in sometime between now and October 7th on YouTube to enjoy it. And if you haven't done so already, you can get the details of the rest of our season on our website at www.confluenceconcerts.ca. And there is an opportunity while you're there to sign up for a membership in support of our organization if you would like to, and we'd be very grateful if you did. I encourage you to stay in touch with the musical calendars of The Whole Note and Ludwig van Toronto, and I look forward to a special program of Mozart that Tafel Music is doing on October 1st, a Beethoven series that the Festival of the Sound is presenting later in the fall, and I encourage you to look into happenings at places like the Rex Hotel and online events presented by Hughes Room. Lots of music going on safely and beautifully. And speaking of beautiful music, here's our artistic associate Suba Shankaran with her auto rickshaw bandmates Ed Hanley and Dylan Bell and their take on J'entends le moulin. featuring Suba Shankaran with their version of the French folk song J'entends le Moulin. You're listening to The Fuse, the podcast of Confluence Concerts. My name is Larry Beckwith. My final guest is featured on the current Billy Strayhorn show on the Confluence YouTube channel. He is Leighton Harrell, and he is rapidly making a name for himself in jazz circles here in Toronto. He studies with Andrew Downing in the jazz program at the University of Toronto, and he joins me on the line now. Welcome to The Fuse, Leighton. Hey, great to be here. I'm really excited about this, Larry. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. And uh, just interested in how you got your start in playing the bass. What drew you to the double bass and, and to playing jazz? Right. Okay. So uh, well, I grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, and so when I was in grade five, going into grade six, 
Uh, I remember towards the end of the school year, my mom took me to the new school that I was going to be attending um, because that's when middle school begins, uh, where I'm from, grade six, so you go to a different school. And so she was insistent that I took an orchestra class. Uh, I had I could choose between orchestra or band, I think, but she was pushing towards orchestra. She, she insisted I take a music class. So I was like, okay, my options are violin, viola, cello, and bass. Um, and I was kind of a big kid. Like I've been over six feet tall or around six feet tall. Um, since I was in like the end of grade five, like grade six. So I've, I've been, uh, yeah, I was, I was tall my whole life. And so I was kind of thinking, okay, I'm really tall. I have big hands. I, I don't, I, I, I know now that you can be tall and have big hands and play violin or viola or cello, but, uh, I thought I was concerned with how I would look. Uh, I thought I would maybe look silly. Part of, part of my, like being attracted to the bass that day was just like, because I wanted to like look cool while playing. Um, so that's when I started and then I liked it for a little bit and then I, I didn't really love it. Uh, in the end of middle school, I, I was an athlete. I, I played football and lacrosse. I I actually like begged my mom in grade seven to let me quit quit orchestra. I didn't want to do it anymore. I just wanted to like take up all the gym classes and play sports and um, she refused. And so I, and I always say when I'm talking about starting to play the bass, I'm forever indebted to my mom for like refusing to let me quit um, middle school orchestra. And so then fast forward to grade, I guess the, like towards the end of grade 10, the beginning of grade 11, uh, I started making a bunch of friends who were musicians. And because of that, I started to become more interested uh, in playing music. Like my, my interest was revitalized. I started, uh, at first I didn't own a bass. And so I started taking the double bass um, that the school that I went to had uh, home over weekends and practicing and, and, and trying to figure it out. I didn't have a teacher at this point. So I was just like, uh, I, yeah, I, I started lessons in the middle of grade 11. So at this point I was like, just trying to figure everything out by myself as much as possible and with my friends. Um, so it was really that. And then all of these friends, not only were they musicians, most of them were jazz musicians. And so it just kind of naturally followed then that I, um, uh, cause at first when I was first starting to like really the bass was becoming interesting to me. I was still really interested in classical music. That's what I wanted to do primarily. And then um, meeting all these jazz musicians, I kind of just, I don't know, it just made sense for me to play with them and to play the music they were playing. And so you fell in. That's what I did. Yeah, exactly. I, I kind of fell in and I, I didn't really look back. So then, uh, you know, fast forward a couple of years I was playing all the time with them. I actually transferred high schools. I, I quit playing sports and I transferred high schools to a school that it wasn't an art school per se, but it, it was a school that just had a lot more arts funding than the high school that I went to. And so I was able to take, um, I think three different music classes in my last year of high school. And that really um, got me into playing. And then um, I came up to, my, my mom's Canadian, but I grew up in the States, but I'm a Canadian citizen. And um, I had been taking lessons with Dave Young, which is fantastic. If anybody doesn't know, uh, an amazing bass player um, from Toronto, uh, because we would visit my family every holiday, basically we had, and they live in and about Toronto. And so every time we would come up to visit, I would um, start in, in the middle of grade 11, I would email Dave Young and see if I could get a lesson. And then that was a huge reason of why I started to come to the University of Toronto. So that's kind of like, I'm sorry, it's very long-winded, but that's my... Interesting. It's really interesting. Actually, I was wondering, because uh, you, you know, you had a career as an athlete too. Did you ever have any injuries that that uh, curtailed your bass playing? Um, well, I was actually really fortunate not to. Um, and I thank my lucky stars <laughs> that I... Because, you know, another thing, another hobby of mine that I actually continued in the university and just recently stopped um, doing was was skateboarding. Um, and I loved like street skateboarding and doing tricks like that. And I was really into that as well. And then a friend of mine who's a pianist in town, um, he's around my age, he was skateboarding and he broke his foot. And then I was like, OK, man, like this is if I wanted if music's what I want to do. I can't risk this. So I was lucky when I was playing sports in high school um, that I didn't have any injuries and I'm trying to keep it that way. Uh, so. So you're currently studying at, at the university of Toronto. And um, I guess we're all kind of 
looking forward to what, uh, or, you know, lots of question marks about what the year is going to look like in terms of ensembles and, and studying and everything. But, uh, but generally, what's it like to study jazz at U of T? Yeah, um, where to start? I think it, you know, like, I, first of all, like a phenomenal program, I think that the level of musicianship, especially like the, just the musicians in my year, is just really, really high. Uh, and people like people are really good and into the music. And I think that that's like important, you know, when you are a, a student aspiring to just get better and better all the time. And, and that's what you want. Um, it's, it, it's really been a blessing to have a lot of the students and make a, to have made a lot of the friends that I've made at U of T in my year, I, or in my year, not only in my year, uh, but just in the school in general. I think that, you know, coming from the States, it's, it's, a, it's it was a little weird uh, for me just because, you know, the, 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 the music scene that I was like, I was, um, when I was in high school in Raleigh, North Carolina, I was um, towards the end trying to start and go out to more jam sessions and more, um, just to meet older musicians and hang with them. And, and I think that the South has like a really special connection to this music. Of course. That is just, yeah, it's like super important uh, to me. It's a, it's a huge part of, I think my musical identity is being from the South and um, you know, kind of what that means in the history and in the context of this music. So I think like, if, like each region has a, a different attitude towards playing music, towards playing this music. And so that was, um, it's just something to adjust to. One thing I will say is just that the, the my year and, and my cohort at the school, it's not super diverse, unfortunately. And I think for that reason, I also had a, lot, a, a tough time adjusting just because I went from a scene that was like 50-50 black and white um, to being the only black person in a program that uh, is about learning and playing black music. Um, so that was challenging for me in a number of ways. But with that said, I think my experience overall has been uh, pretty incredible. I've had, you know, I've met some really great musicians who I'm very lucky to call friends. I've had amazing teachers and mentors. Um, and I wouldn't be the musician I am, obviously, without without all of those things. So, I yeah, I think to study at the University of Toronto, it's a really... Um, I guess maybe not unique for a, for somebody who's played this music their entire career in Canada, but it was unique for me because I had, you know, I, I feel like I have one foot in two different perspectives of this music and I'm fortunate and grateful for that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a, it sounds like an education on so many different levels in a way. Mm. And, um, and it also sounds like you're really taking, taking a lot from the experience as well, which is, which is great. I'm trying to. Uh, I, great. That's great. Uh, one, and one of your teachers is Andrew Downing, who's uh, who's curating this Billy Strayhorn concert, and and of course is an artistic associate of uh, of Confluence. And what's it like studying with Andrew? Uh, man, I like fantastic for me. Andrew has been an incredible teacher uh, for me, and has been hugely important. I think in my development as a musician. Um, and it's a bass player. I, I, I met Andrew actually when I auditioned. I, I hadn't heard of him before. I, I, I um, or actually no, I, that's that's a lie. I read his name on the website of Bass Teachers, but I, you know, I, I uh, had done my audition and we both had our bases. And he was just like, "Hey, did you just audition?" Blah blah blah. Good luck. Um, and I and I remember it being cool because he was just like warm and nonchalant about everything, just very like casual and, and cool and nice um and so i kind of got to know him through my first year and at the end of my first year we we had a lesson and he kind of just like sh shattered my like technical concept like he was just kind of or like not in a bad way but just like i had never like met anyone who kind of conceived of playing the bass in the way that he does right um and so he showed me some things in that lesson that I like kind of practiced over the summer, but then I studied with someone, I studied with Dave Young again the next year. And so we didn't really get to like get into deep work on like those technical things until my third year, which is when I studied um, like my bass lessons were with him. And uh, that kind of shattered feeling or like that, that like blown away feeling, that feeling of awe that I have about like Andrew's bass concept um, 
hasn't gone away since studying with him. Like I, I really, um, I took also, we have to take, uh, you know, theory and ear training classes in, in music school. I found both of those courses of his to be incredibly helpful. Like just a really like sensitive and thoughtful artist and teacher. I think I'm really to know him and I played with him recently, which was cool. I, um, for this, for the Confluence concert, it was, I'm, you know, it was awesome. So great. That's great. Yeah. He's a, uh, musician with many, uh, many facets to his, you know, many strengths in a way. I mean, he's such a great arranger and composer and, That's right. and, uh, and a wonderful player. Uh, mm-hmm. um, he had this great idea to put a concert together of the works of Billy Strayhorn, uh, which was a name that I knew only in a very, very cursory way before, before this project. Did you, did you know of Strayhorn and Strayhorn's music um, before this concert? Yeah, I um Billy Strayhorn has been for a long time one of my favorite uh composers in 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 this music. Let's see, yeah, my grade 12 year, my senior year, I did a um there's this program that Jazz at Lincoln Center does in New York called Essentially Ellington, which is where they invite it's a it's a big band competition basically and there's like 15 they they select 15 out of I don't know however like maybe a couple hundred that apply. And then everybody goes to New York and it's, it's all about the music of Duke Ellington. Um, but I think, you know, you can't talk about Duke Ellington with also, without also talking about Billy Strayhorn. True. And uh, it was in that, it was in that year that I became more aware of Billy Strayhorn's music. And I mean, yeah, again, he remains one of my favorite composers. And I feel like he's also like one of the most, like overlooked just because I think a lot of people play his music and don't realize that he wrote it. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful to have been able to take it, take part in this concert that we did. I, I mean, I think that more people should know about Billy Strayhorn and I'm glad that I, we had the chance to play this music and it, it's, he's one of the best. So. Yeah. Mm. And um, so what was the experience like in the, in the recording of the, of our two days of recordings? How did you enjoy that? I really loved it. Um, you know, it was cool. I, I think uh, I was telling Andrew, uh, we went to get a burrito just uh, in our break. And I was saying, I think this is the first time I'm getting paid to play with the bow. Um, you know, because <laughs> I, I played a lot of classical music uh, in high school, but I haven't really done it at all since, um, you know, I like, when, I, when you start jazz school, you're doing a different thing. But Andrew and I, uh, as part of my lessons last year, we did a ton of work with the bow and we did like a whole overhaul of my technique in a couple ways. And so I was like really excited to kind of test these skills out because I, I hadn't had um, a chance at this point to like play with the bow with other people in like a, in a really meaningful way. And so this was like really awesome, like man, a great experience for me. You know, the, the, the gigs that I'm used to doing uh, are like very often, um, you know, there's a standard repertoire in jazz and we, we all learn as much of it as we can. I think it's a lifelong project to learn as much of it as you can, but you know, it's just the gigs I'm used to doing are, you know, it might be somebody's arranged some of these tunes or has some of their own original music. That's kind of like this music in a lot of ways. And then you play it, but there's not as much like preparation time and, one thing that I really missed about playing classical music in high school was the the process of preparing over a long period of time or over not a not so long period of time, but the process of preparing to play music with other people in a meaningful way, in a meaningful setting. Um, and so this was really great for me to do that. And that, it's not that it doesn't happen in jazz. Uh, I think it's just at the student level and the kind of gigs that I have been doing, there isn't as much opportunity for that because at this point, no one's leading their own band full time. It's we're we're doing as much playing as we can, and then um, cramming our assignments in. Um, so we we don't have the opportunity to spend a ton of time, you know, writing our own music or arranging arranging music like Andrew's done uh, with this tune, um, and then preparing over long periods of time. And so, I, it it was a really special two days for me, I was really, really, I was looking forward to it the whole month before um, when Andrew called me and I'm really just still excited about it. So. That's great. Well, Leighton, it's, it's wonderful to have you part of this uh, Strayhorn project. It's been great to meet you. I hope we get a chance to work together again. And I want to thank you for, 
for this interview and also wish you all the best uh, in the coming year. Oh, man. Thanks so much, Larry. Same to you. Bassist Leighton Harrell. Leighton studies at the University of Toronto with Andrew Downing and was an integral part of Confluence Concert's Billy Strayhorn celebration, which you can partake of until October 7th on the Confluence YouTube channel. We have come to the end of the inaugural episode of The Fuse, the podcast of Confluence Concerts. I hope you've enjoyed it and that you will feel free to get in touch with any feedback or questions or requests. You can write to me at larry at confluenceconcerts.ca. We'll be back again in a few weeks with our October 2020 episode. Until then, be safe and be well. Bye for now.